Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Sun. In today's episode, polio's back in town, scientists are creating jet fuel from air and water, and the Great Barrier Reef finally has some good news. But first, it was on this day in 1894 that the first wireless transmission of information was demonstrated by Oliver Lodge during a meeting of the British Association at Oxford. Using Morse code, a message was transmitted about 50 metres from the old Clarendon Laboratory to the University Museum. Following the driest eight months since 1976, the first hosepipe bands of the year are now in place. It started a week ago in Hampshire, the Isle of Wight and the Isle of Man, and now Kent and Sussex are joining them. The warm weather and prolonged dry spell have depleted reservoir and river levels, meaning an urgent reduction in demands needed to keep things flowing smoothly. The ban means filling your paddling pool, putting on your sprinklers and even jet washing your car could land you with a £1,000 fine. We know that people um, who use a hosepipe, it's a 1,000 litres for an hour, which is more than one person will use in a whole week. So we're just asking people to stop using water for some of those things that perhaps aren't necessary, just while we've not got any rain. That was Southern Water's Chief Customer Officer Katie Taylor. While there's still enough water for drinking in everyday use, reducing it now could avoid the need for more drastic restrictions later. Gareth Patchett is Head of Water at Manx Utilities. Talking to Sky News, he explained the predicament the Isle of Man is in. We've had a bit of a, a double jeopardy situation where there's very little water coming into the reservoir now and the demand has gone up by about 20%. So what happens is that the reservoir started to drop quite steeply and it's now approaching 65%. In, in the unlikely event that it doesn't rain again until October, by, by, by the middle of September we would, we would start to be in a serious situation. So what needs to be done? Well, whilst we're not technically in a drought, it is clear we're heading in that direction. Jim Hall's a Professor of Climate and Environmental Risk at the University of Oxford and he explained... There is not one single thing which will solve the risk of droughts. Uh, the National Infrastructure Commission has said that we should really be proceeding on three fronts and roughly equally on those three fronts. One is reducing leakage, two is reducing water demand, and three is making more water sources available for investment in strategic infrastructure. Water companies say there's no direct risk to customer drinking supply, but as more hosepipe bans begin, it's clear we're doing our future selves a big favour. Scientists at the UK Health Security Agency have confirmed that polio has been found in the sewage of nine London boroughs. This comes just weeks after the virus was detected in sewage from northeast London, the first time in 40 years. As a result, all children in London aged 1 to 9 will now be offered an additional dose of the polio vaccine. 
Whilst we've not had a clinical case confirmed yet, the virus is beginning to circulate more widely. With vaccination rates in the capital lower than the rest of the country, there's concern that it's only a matter of time before the virus reaches somebody who hasn't already been vaccinated. The risks are low because just about a very large majority of people have been, you know, have been vaccinated adequately to protect them. Uh, but nevertheless, there are people who haven't been uh, vaccinated at all and others that have not been fully vaccinated. Um, and these kind of viruses uh, can actually cause polio, even though they come from the, the vaccine they can gradually uh, evolve back towards virulence and cause paralysis. So this is something we do need to pay attention to. And in the short term, uh, people should check that their children have had all their scheduled vaccinations, particularly if they're in North London, but elsewhere as well, just to minimise any possible risk. That was Professor Adam Finn of Bristol Children's Hospital and the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. He joined Sky News when news of detection first broke in June. Polio sin is a disease of the past in the UK after the whole of Europe was declared polio-free in 2003. It's now rearing its ugly head here and in other parts of the world which haven't seen outbreaks in decades. It causes a, an illness with fever, a bit like flu, uh, and most people who get it uh, make a full recovery without any serious problems. But unfortunately, a minority of people can get this paralysis. Usually affects the legs, but it can affect other parts of the body. Um, and in some cases, it's permanent, so that uh, you, know, you get weakness of one or other of the limbs. Um, people can't move normally. Uh, and then even though they recover from the infection, that can on some cases be a permanent problem. And unfortunately, this is already happening. In the United States, polio showing up in the sewers of New York State and one unvaccinated individual who became infected developed paralysis. It may sound shocking, but some medical professionals aren't surprised. Dr. Pervy Parikh is a New York infectious disease physician and shared her thoughts with CBC News. Now in the last two years, um, with the pandemic, childhood immunization rates have dropped dramatically, um, not only uh, due to anti-vax sentiments, but just due to the fact that people are, were just not getting routine medical care. In addition to sewage surveillance to track the spread of the virus, the hope is the vaccine booster program will help stamp out the virus once and for all, again. Still to come on the Sunday 7, virtual reality to help pain management and environmentally friendly chocolate. Earlier this week, French officials were racing against the clock to save a beluga whale spotted in the River Seine after it strayed thousands of miles from its Arctic Ocean habitat. Describing the animal as worryingly thin, marine conservationists feared the whale could starve if it stayed in the waterways that flows towards Paris. Early on Wednesday, the beluga was lifted out of the river in the first stage of an ambitious rescue operation, but it later sadly died. This isn't the first time a whale's found itself stuck in a river. An orca died after being stranded in the Seine just a few months ago, and in Italy last year, a mink whale had to be euthanised after it became stranded in the River Thames. But how are they getting lost and why does it keep happening? To answer these questions and more, we spoke to Nicola Hodgins, the research coordinator at Whale and Dolphin Conservation. Hey Nicola, thanks for joining us. So, why do whales get stuck on shores and in rivers in the first place? The majority of time it's purely a navigational error. They've either been compromised their health already beforehand, so they're weak and, and you know, maybe not thinking quite straight and they can end up just you know, taking a wrong turn. 
other times when some animals can be following prey and they just don't realise um, they're just more intent on where the prey is as to, to actually where they're going. They can sometimes get stuck in in kind of small locks or as you say up rivers and other times again it just complete disorientation um there could be some kind of noise it's predominantly seems to be military sonar and also sonar which is used for oil and gas um, exploration and that can cause animals to become completely disorientated and and therefore they don't actually know where they are and where they're swimming and then that's how they can end up in a habitat that they're not they're not used to being in what are the dangers for them simply that they're not, they're out of their habitat they're not in habitat which is suitable to, to, to them as a species and there's a reason that we find different species in different habitats whether it's cold water tropical so different species are suited to different habitats um, and that can be to do with the salinity of the water it can also do with the prey in an individual who would normally spend its time in the cold arctic waters to find itself up a river First off, the salinity itself. So being in fresh water is going to affect the, the skin and the, and the health of the individual. Then you've got prey. It's not what it's normal prey that it would normally be eating. And again, it's in a habitat which is it's not meant to be. They're also incredibly social animals and they're, they're used to having other members of their pod around. So that can also be incredibly destructive to that individual to, to find itself on its own when actually it's usually spending time with, with many other pod mates. Is there anything we can be doing to minimise them getting stranded and sick and, well, you know, clearly sometimes dying? These are kind of isolated incidents um, and I think the bigger question really is that what should we be doing to protect the habitats in the first place? You know, we should be looking at our choices when it comes to, you know, plastic pollution. We should be thinking of climate change, bycatch. These these are the issues where we can actually do something. It's about being aware of, of your decisions and your choices and, and how nothing that we do, we're doing in isolation. Nothing that we're doing is, you know, everything has a knock-off effect to something else. So be aware of your some of your purchasing choices, be aware of um, your own impact on the, the environment and, you know, being able to, to, yeah, just educate yourself as to how you can you can help and, and do more things that, that can help the natural world, then that's always a good thing. What do you get when you mix sunlight, water and carbon dioxide? Carbon neutral jet fuel, that's what, according to scientists at ETH Zurich. So how does this actually work? The chemical process turns sunshine into syngas, a synthetic alternative to fossil-derived fuels like kerosene and diesel. The process involves injecting CO2 and water in a solar reactor and blasting it with concentrated solar heat to split the molecules into hydrogen and carbon monoxide. Aldo Steinfeld, a professor of renewable energy carriers at ETH Zurich, explains. The solar reactor is located at the focus of the solar concentrator. In the solar reactor, we have a thermochemical process taking place, splitting water and CO2 and producing syngas. This reaction is highly endothermic, requires very high temperature, and we are providing this this energy by concentrating solar radiation by a factor of 3,000. Sand gas can then be easily processed into kerosene, methanol or other hydrocarbons which can be used in global transport or shipping. These synthetic liquid fuels release as much CO2 as they previously absorbed from the air which is what makes them carbon neutral. 
Philip Furler is the founder and CEO of Synhelion, a company which aims to scale up the solar fuel production technology to industrial levels. Our goal is that by 2025, um, to have the first full-scale commercial solar fuels plant in operation with a production capacity of around 10 million litres of methanol per year. The companies agreed to work with Swiss Air to produce carbon-neutral aviation fuel. Their solar jet fuel production will begin in 2023 with mass commercial productions to follow. Still to come on the Sunday 7, how VR might be replacing drugs and there's great news for the Barrier Reef. Right after this... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Mocklet. I'm sorry? Mocklet. It's a completely synthetic chocolate substitute. Is there a way of creating environmentally friendly chocolate? Well, the wonderfully named Dr. Johnny Drain is a material scientist turned chef who's been looking at the science behind replacing cocoa with other foods such as barley and carrots. What most people don't realise about cocoa and chocolate is that um, about 70% of it is produced in just two countries in West Africa, Ghana and Ivory Coast, in a way that involves outsized water consumption, so about 20,000 litres of water per kilo, and that's way more than beef or soy or avocado. That was Johnny, founder of Win Win Food Lab, speaking with BBC Click. Not only is there an environmental cost to the production of cocoa, there's also the concern of child labour and under-regulated working conditions. Growing up in Birmingham near the Cadbury's chocolate factory, Johnny's also been curious about the taste of chocolate. You know, when you, if you put your scientist hat on, it's just a bunch of compounds, and it's quite complex, but essentially it's just a bunch of compounds. And then thinking, well, can you make that flavour profile, starting from something that's not cacao beans? Could you start with potatoes or rice? And so what's this alternative chocolate recipe made from? Well, we can't tell you the secrets of exactly what we do, but our hero ingredients are barley, which has this you know, rich tradition of being used to make whiskey and beer, and also carob. And we found using this combination of fermentation and roasting, which is what you do to turn cacao into chocolate, we've taken that principle, that philosophy, and turned these ingredients into our alt choc. And that magic of mixing all happens in the lab. It starts by melting the fat and combining it with the secret chocolatey ingredients for 48 hours. After that, the chocolate's tempered and moulded into bars. This results in a mixture that contains 15% less sugar than its chocolate equivalent, and it's full of antioxidants and flavonoids. But how does it taste? Click host Lara Lewington lets us know. Mm. Absolutely delicious. But I genuinely wouldn't know that that wasn't cocoa. There are another few companies in this space too, but Win-Win's alternative chocolate bars are going to go on sale later this year.
got a tour of Victoria Falls today, which is going to be lovely scenery. These Canadian surgeons are taking their patients on a trip, but there are no drugs involved. Instead of narcotics, plastic surgeon Dr. Ryan Austin offers a virtual reality headset to patients undergoing minor surgeries. Virtual reality really offers a new way that the patients can still have these procedures done safely under a local anesthesia uh, where they're awake, but it gives them the chance to disconnect. It's that disconnection or distraction from their surroundings that some experts say dulls anxiety and even pain. Dr. James Clarkson, professor of surgery at Michigan State University, is a pioneer of this technique. He's used VR in his practice since 2006. When we studied it, we found it's those patients, about 30% of them, that have an anxiety disorder that give us the highest uh, reduction in anxiety. Research as recent as May found VR not only has applications in acute pain management, but also in chronic pain settings. But it's not black and white. Other studies have had different results. Some suggest that while VR did reduce paediatric plastic surgery procedure times, it didn't lessen pain or anxiety compared to standard care. For Clarkson, though, VR offers an alternative to expensive and sometimes risky sedition. If they don't need to be paralysed and ventilated and they don't need deep invasive surgery, then, and there's a large percentage of surgery that falls under this umbrella, then virtual reality can really help us. There's finally some good news for the state of Australia's Great Barrier Reef. Some areas are seeing the highest amount of coral recorded in 36 years of monitoring. The health of the reef is measured in coral cover. That's the proportion of the reef's surface covered by sponges, algae and other organisms, and it's improved significantly. Almost 90 reefs were surveyed between August last year and March this year. In the North region, the amount of coral covers increased from 27 to 36%, and in the central part of the reef, covers jumped from 26 to 33%. And that's the highest level of cover these parts have seen in the last 36 years. Mike Emsley is a senior marine research scientist at the Australian Institute of Marine Science, the body that carried out the research. He spoke to NBC News and said the findings have been very encouraging. We always knew that the reef could recover. I guess this, the surprising aspect is that it, it has continued its upward trajectory despite the, the last two mass coral bleaching events in 2020 and, and this year, 2022. But I think that points to the fact that not all bleaching events are equal. So the last two events haven't had the accumulated heat stress that we saw in 2016-17. So today I think what we're seeing is that the Great Barrier Reef still is a resilient system. You know, it still maintains that ability to recover from disturbances. As encouraging as this seems, the new coral taking over is leaving the reef more vulnerable to future devastating impacts. The Institute's head, Dr Paul Hardisty, spoke with ABC News about the report and was cautious that we're not in the clear just yet. The message that everyone needs to understand is that this is not the 1980s. You know, that'll be the, that'll be the, the easy thing to take away, that the coral cover is as good as it was in the 80s in many places, yes. Are the underlying conditions the same? No, we're walking the tightrope. We've had some luck in the last few years. That isn't going to continue unless we really take a lot of action um, to change things, to turn it around. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by...
English by Daft Doris. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 